This is a Cortez Currents news update. You can make these tough decisions smart. You can actually find out how to do it in a way where time and preparation can help reduce the temperature and can help create a plan for how to move forward. And then maybe to also uh, reinvigorate uh, local discussion. There's no question that that's also a good thing. Said John Paul Fraser, president of the BC Salmon Farmers Association. As regard the Minister of Fisheries' decision to phase out Discovery Island's fish farms by June 30th, 2022, Fraser said, 18 months, which is um, uh, what the federal government has applied, is a, is a completely untenable and unworkable time frame to actually exercise uh, any kind of transition or whatever you may call it. It really is about termination in just a short time frame. But I think the part that really upsets a lot of people, as it should, is that this government uh, apparently made absolutely no effort. Unlike up in the Broughton, a decision was made by another government, far more prepared and, um, quite frankly, far more professionally. How do you do it in a manner that you emerge from a process more united than you enter? And all that's happened here is that there are now divisions that are being exposed and it's really unfortunate for the broader community that this government didn't figure out a way like the province did in previous decisions for everyone to come together. Reconciliation is about uh, everyone coming together to reconcile uh, grievances and to maybe move forward together, recognizing it's arduous and difficult, but not impossible. What's happened here is the opposite. There has been no effort to try to bring everyone together around a tough decision. Quite frankly, the federal government ought to be entirely embarrassed and ashamed of the incompetence that is demonstrated in this decision. In yesterday's news report, one of the biologists opposing fish farms questioned an industry statement that 1,500 people would lose their jobs. Someone in the BC Salmon Farmers Association explained that the actual number was 1,498, and it was made up of direct and indirect jobs. According to the report, Raising Opportunity, How Farm-Raised Salmon Can Lead BC's Post-COVID Recovery, there are 572 people from Campbell River, Sayward, and the Discovery Islands directly employed in this sector. John Paul Fraser used much more personal terms. The industry is full of people. People are what make this, like all industries, special. And the other thing that is important is that when you talk about phasing out farms, what does that really mean? Okay, so farms are obviously a place governed by a lot of regulation, uh, high, very rigorous regulation with people who live there as part of their work, who love to be in, the, in nature and love the animals that they're raising, take amazing care of them. And then also on the farm, you've got, you know, almost like a family because you're in proximity with people for five or six days at a time. You live there and uh, you spend the past the days there and you're always looking at the salmon and you're always looking at the environment and you're always feeding and caring. So that's a farm. So what that means to those people, it means the loss of something that's very important to them, very real and very raw. And uh, now it's incredibly bitter. But that's just the farm. There's so much going into that off the farm, back in other communities, 
whether it's technology service providers, contractors, people who install equipment, who check equipment, uh, divers who check nets, who inspect and clean uh, in and around. Then it's uh, the, the the transporters, the companies that come in and and bring fish in and take fish out to market. Then the the transportation companies who who take the fish all the way to market to the airport or wherever wherever that might be. And then all the induced and indirect jobs in and around the community, like the beach fire, like I said, uh, the car dealership, the restaurant, and then ultimately people's families. So when you're talking about closing a farm, you're talking about closing a lot of things down for a lot of people. And, and I think that's important for folks to understand. This is not a decision that can any way be executed without a tremendous amount of pain and hardship. And it starts with people who care a lot about what they do and, and the environment in which they do it. This area was covered by that $25 million, three and a half year Cohen Commission process which yielded a recommendation that the farms in the Discovery Island ought to be removed unless independent science could verify that they posed no more than minimal risk to migrating Fraser River sockeye. In nine risk assessments, nine years later, that was actually the conclusion. And by the way, this isn't our science. This is government science, and it's all reviewed by, and peer-reviewed by scientists inside, but primarily outside government and academia as an example. And the whole world was governed by this commitment uh, to find and pursue the science. And that happened. And so another reason why I think folks were a bit surprised is because for all these years we had determined, deemed that be, that to be the guiding force behind future activity, and, uh, and then it wasn't. The one area which critics keep pointing to is sea lice. You'll have to go back to DFO and ask why that wasn't the risk assessment, but I think their answer has been, we assess that all the time. We establish conditions of license based on how the companies manage lice. We've got what's called a three motile limit. So the per fish per farm, if you're over three, then measures need to be taken uh, and measures that shouldn't exacerbate the larger site population's ability to fight off lice outbreaks, but the amount of investment that's gone in to manage lice, the uh, number of audits that have gone in uh, to keep those numbers down, particularly in this area, is actually amazing. I mean, it's just a huge amount of work that's gone into it. We've got protocol agreements in the Broughton and the Okosolo to share information that uh, really is different from any other region so that we're all on top of it, company to company information. And, and the thing that people don't understand is that typically when you're fighting life, you're not fighting to keep it out. Well, you're fighting it from coming in. And then the problem is that when it comes in, then it can amplify. And then how do you get on that problem so it doesn't become a bigger problem? And one of the companies has just spent uh, another, I think, $25 million on new lice mitigation technology in the form of a vessel, which is already being deployed right across by all the companies across the province to effectively, with no pollutants, no chemicals, just simply coming on board, washing them off, sending them back in millions and millions of dollars in new investment that's sort of showing up and that was that was going to be and is specifically for discovery islands so i mean that may have to go elsewhere now so 
I know the companies are very proud of how hard they've worked and how much they've invested in lice management. What about the idea of transitioning to land? A number of people have pointed to other nations where this is happening. I think it's something that is very interesting. When you're talking about 87 metric tons, though, it's not in the realm of right around the corner and probably not even in the realm of possible. It's uh, also very early days on technology. Uh, people talk about the land-based system down in Miami, which is a, a fine example of massive factory production, except for the fact that there are almost no environmental laws in Florida and that they dump all of their wastewater into the aquifer. They searched the world to find that site. So to say that we can just transition from the farm onto land in our communities, when we don't understand the land use, which is going to be significant. And on this, I would invite you and everyone to go to our website, Deeper Dive, on our site, and you'll see we've got a whole section on closed containment, and it's all independent, third-party, verified information. But the water, the land, the energy, uh, and the market for all of it is extremely unknown, not to mention the fact that there's not a huge appetite unnecessarily for salmon that are raised in, in their own fecal matter and all of the work that has to be done to mitigate against that. So if you're looking at food that is grown on land versus grown in the ocean, there's a much larger appetite for ocean variety than there is for land variety. But I'll say this, we have members in our association that are land farmers and they can tell you how hard it is. The problem is that here in British Columbia, people who are espousing land-based aquaculture have never really done it. And the people who are doing it would say that those who are espousing it are out of their minds and thinking that they don't really get it. Spend 24 hours in a land-based facility, knowing that if the power goes out, you could lose everything. Come live our reality. And then you tell me that we can replicate 87 metric tons on land in five years. You can't. And clearly, economically, if you were to say that every salmon grown in British Columbia needs to grow on land. It's not going to grow here. It's going to grow somewhere else. The whole thing will be gone. So what I'm hearing from a lot of people is they like to espouse this as a solution, but they don't really know what they're talking about. And what they're really saying is that they want salmon farms to be gone entirely. And they're casting themselves as being solution oriented when they know full well, it's not a solution and viable for BC communities, coastal communities. There's a reason why there are salmon farms where we are. It's because we have an ocean and we have the ability to support activity in and around the ocean environment. If the ocean was taken out of the equation, we might as well just be doing this in Las Vegas. And maybe that's what they want. In fact, that's probably what they want. What's the point of that? Especially if what you're looking at is an industry that operates at extremely high standards and meets the obligations, its legal obligations, meets obligations that exceed legal obligations, other third-party standards, and is a really attractive and interesting and important and healthy and really in our hand opportunity for a lot, a lot more communities on Vancouver Island. The Minister of Fisheries said that seven First Nations in the Discovery Islands heavily informed the decision to phase out fish farms. But were they all against fish farms? I don't know. We've been very careful in that process and out of the process to sort of try to play interpretive theater about what or what may not have happened. And that would be disrespectful to the nations and to their leadership. The industry is extremely 
supportive of UNDRIP, uh, was there in the legislature when the provincial legislation was passed, the first of its kind in Canada, and working in concert in partnership with Indigenous communities is fundamental. In some cases, the, the nations themselves own the sites, uh, own the licenses, and, and we support them through operating agreements. And there's a range of a really interesting in an emergence of really new interesting opportunities for local communities to get involved in salmon farming. And so that's the other part about this that's uh, really important to, for everyone to be talking about. That's, that's a, it's a value and a virtue of the sector and we want to do more of it. And in fact, in that economic growth opportunities document that we released, you know, we make it very clear that, that there is no growth, but when we do work together and we can grow together, here's how many more jobs, here's how much more revenue for government, here's how much more local small uh, businesses can get created, and here's why it's good for a, a, a region that economically has been hit very hard uh, in the downturn of other sectors. What does the decision to phase out the Discovery Islands mean to the fish farm industry as a whole? What's sort of been unleashed here is a potential kind of contagion because ultimately companies are going to have to make a decision as to whether or not they can really stay in business. You can't just say, hey, we're reducing your output by, and therefore your your revenue by 30%. You can't come into a shop and say, oh, by the way, 30% of what you're selling here, you're not selling anymore. See ya. One might think, well, you know, I could still make a go of it. I can't really make up that 30%. I still got to pay the rent. I'm going to have to lay a few people off. Is it even worth staying in business? Have I gone over a certain point where we, we've lost critical mass uh, in order to actually stay in business? And that's not being profit hungry. It's about being able to actually uh, run a business. And so there will be, have to be some decisions made by companies, very painful ones, about not whether to simply lay people off, which is about to happen. is about whether or not we can even survive. It's even worth it. And then that, that, that answers the layoff question, but then what else? So when that business gets told that it can't sell 30% of its material and it's small business, then it goes out of business. Then those people who supply that, maybe it's a local person supplying soap. Maybe it's someone else supplying uh, sculptures. Guess what? They no longer have a client. And then it just goes down and down and down and down. And I don't think people, and certainly the federal government doesn't really understand how fragile our economy is, particularly now. What I'm trying to fully produce is the information that we all need to have to understand the ramifications of this decision and reset our thinking based on that. Because I think when it becomes clear who and how many people are going to be swept up in this, a neighbor's friends, how much business apparently not aligned with aquaculture, but actually aligned if you look at the numbers carefully. And I hope it causes people to wonder, could this have been done better? And if we can do that, 
together, then there may be a way to find um, solutions for the problems that this decision is ultimately going to uh, create and is creating. So that's step one. Get a full picture of what we're actually looking at here because government did not do its due diligence. If the minister was making this decision in her backyard, I guarantee you she would have. If the federal government had seats that they actually thought they could win, it would have. This is a government with a pattern of making decisions about our industry that are far removed from the communities that are very focused on, on their electoral prospects, particularly in Vancouver, that is motivated by voices and interests there as opposed to voices and interests in Campbell River, Gold River, Port McNeil, Sayward, Port Hardy, Clayquot, uh, Tofino, Euclid, Seashell, Comox. The government has no prospects in any of those places. So it, I think, acted accordingly, which is without care. You've been listening to an interview with John Paul Fraser, president of the BC Salmon Farmers Association, about the phasing out of fish farms in the Discovery Islands.